When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. But then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder and rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Then the second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and the third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had become made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light may be darkened, and a third of the night might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an angel crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe! Woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets and the three angels are about to blow. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then... From the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power, like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them, and their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. 
The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Then the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number, and this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates, the color of fire, of sapphire, and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. But these three plagues... By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. May the Lord bless the reading of his word, right? Well, we are in some intense stuff here in Revelation and um, chapters 8 and 9. Uh, This is quite some terrain that we're in here right now, and I want to say this before we hop on the Land of Revelation tour bus together here, I want to kind of do a post-it note summary of where we've been, literally a post-it note summary here of where we've been. So, uh, Revelation chapter 1, let's go ahead and bring up that next slide, please. There we go. Uh, Revelation 1, we see the source and the subject of the book of Revelation. We see the resurrected, magnified, glorified Jesus Christ that is there. And then John is instructed to write everything that he sees. And then he's going to be giving it to the seven local churches that are there. By the way, chapter 1, I want to remind us, it tells us essentially that the book of Revelation is an apocalyptic prophetic letter. All of those are very important. Let me say this. It is not just an apocalyptic letter. It is an apocalyptic prophetic letter. It's apocalyptic. It has massive amounts of imagery throughout the book itself. Obviously, it's apocalyptic. It's also prophetic, chapter 1 tells us. It's telling us of things that are going to be coming, okay? So it's not just hints of things. It's not just like random things. It's not just kind of like, let's just talk symbolically about things. Uh, Yes, there are symbols and imagery in it, but it's telling about things that are going to be happening, is what uh, the prophet part of it, but it's also a letter. That's is, this is important because it means what we are going through was intended to be understood by people, maybe not every detail of it, but on the whole, we're to understand it. It's an apocalyptic prophetic letter, chapter one, then Revelation chapter two, two and three, kind of a unique chapter in there. Jesus, the resurrected, magnified, glorified Jesus Christ has something to say to seven real local churches 
in the area. Seven real local churches in Asia Minor, Turkey, that also have implication and application to churches today. Then Revelation chapter 4, John is taken into the throne room of heaven, and the whole center of it is God the Father that is there, and, and all that's happening, the, 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 the lightning shooting out, and the thunder, and the emerald circle around, and the four living ones, and the 24 uh, presbyteros on thrones around, and just that glorious sight, and everything is pointing to the center of the room, if you will, to the Father. And then we get into Revelation chapter 5, still in the throne room. But everything changes from talking about the Father as a whole to talking about the Father in his right hand, the hand of control. There is a scroll that has seven seals, scroll with writing on the inside and the outside. It has a lot of writing on it. It's in his right hand. It's there. Who can take the scroll out of his hand? And the whole thrust of the chapter is there is only one that can take the scroll out of his hand. And, and the presbyter, one of the presbyteros says, uh, don't weep, John, don't weep. There is one, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He will be the one who can take it out. And then John looks and the text tells us that he sees the lamb. The lion is the lamb. The, the, keep that in mind. The lion is the lamb. And the lion is roaring through the book of Revelation. And then we see Revelation 6. The lion-like lamb begins to open the seals one at a time. And out of those, out of these seals, seal one, the conquering power of false peace will come. And then a civil and world unrest leading to great war and bloodshed will come. Then inflation and famine will come. Let's move to the next slide, please, if we could. Thank you. And uh, then in that pestilence and famine and more death and a quarter of the earth, it says. Is that real? Is that symbolic? I'm going to leave it right there. We'll be dealing some more with that as time moves along. Then seal number five, great numbers of God's people are going to be martyred. Seal six, natural disasters like earthquakes. And as the text talks about, like the heavens rolling up on mankind. And then seal seven is yet to be opened. But chapter six ends with the question of who can stand in all of the roar of the lion of the judgments of God beginning to unfold on mankind. And by the way, it is the beginning of them. The question is raised, who can stand in just these six sealed judgments of the roar of the lion? And chapters eight, or chapter 7 answers that. We saw a parenthetic pause answering the question, who can stand? And we saw it talks about two groups of people, 144,000 on earth and a great multitude in heaven. We talked about this last Sunday. The Lamb is going to be doing a redeeming work throughout the entire time of his roaring. Know that. Whenever God brings judgment, his ultimate ob objective of judgment on anyone, any people, all of mankind, his ultimate goal in the roar of the lion is that the lamb would do a redeeming work. And just like a parent, at times we, we push into our children lovingly, even though it's hard for us, for them, ultimately that they would respond and do what's right and the Lord's judgments are 
always full of his love to bring a redeeming work, as we will see at the end of this chapter, that people would repent is the call of the whole text. And today we're in chapters 8 and 9. The seventh seal is opened and the seven trumpets are given to seven angels. Six of the seven trumpets blare. That's where we've been. That's where we're going. We enter the text. Three quick reminders. By the way, I keep doing this because I want for you to know this is more to me than just a study of a book of the Bible. This is far more to me than a timeline. This is, also includes the reality of trying to equip you in how to deal and study God's word and how to walk in it. So quick text reminders here. Number one, we are doing a study of the book of Revelation, not a systematic study of eschatology of end times as the whole. That's important. We're doing a book of Revelation. We are entering God's word. Remember, This is God's word, not my word, not your word. Our objective is to try and pull out what God has to say. We don't enter it wanting God to be who we want God to be. We enter it to learn who God is. And we align ourselves with that. I don't have a theological framework that I'm trying to press into this. I'm simply wanting us to press into the Lord's word and let his framework pour out on us. That's the objective with it. We're doing a study of the book of Revelation. We're entering God's word, not ours. And this is really important, friends. We live in a war zone. Talked about this a few weeks ago, but we lived in a war zone. We live in an all-out war between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. Do not forget, you will not be able to forget in the text today, this is not just about us and God. There is a war that is going on, and we are right in the war zone of it all between the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God, and all hell is about to come. But know this, the one over it all, you will win. You will win when we rejoice in that. God, I pray as we dive into your word that you would show yourself mighty here. You are the king on the throne forever. And we adore you for it. Show us more of who you are, Lord. More of who you are. In Christ's name, amen. Here we go. By the way, uh, I just appreciate if you pray for me today. My voice would hold through. I love this voice right now. I wish I had this voice more often, a little deeper. Um, but uh, here we go. I'm laying it all out. All right, verse 1, chapter 8. When the Lamb opened the what seal? The seventh seal. Remember, who opened it, by the way? The Lamb did. It's so interesting how God, throughout the book of Revelation, more than any book in the entire Bible, uses the title of Lamb for Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb, the Redeemer lion-like Lamb. By the way, we saw last Sunday, chapter 7, verse 17, he is also the shepherd. The lion is the lamb, the lamb is the lion, the lion-lamb is the shepherd, the shepherd is the lion-lamb, the shepherd is the lamb-lion. Very cool. Verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. By the way, in the Greek, it literally says for about a half an hour. 
Uh, It's interesting here because in this, heaven so far in the book of Revelation is not known for being a silent place. You see back in there, we see all chapter 4, chapter 5, the heavens declare The angels are singing. Oftentimes there's declarations, there's songs that are being made. Heaven is filled with doxology. Doxology pours out in heaven. And yet we come to this moment where it is silent. And silence is really uncomfortable. And especially in a place where there's normally a lot of noise. And there's a lot of noise we've seen so far in the book of Revelation. What's happening here? Why the silence? Well, some think that it's a literary device that's signaling some events in God's redemptive history. We'll talk about that more later. I'm going through this right now, just so you're aware, through chapter by chapter. I'm laying things out. I'm not trying to put it all together right now. We'll get there, laying data out and to pull it together. But right now, some think that this is a literary device that's used. Uh, I think the natural idea of the text, and you'll hear me use that word a lot, what does it naturally just come to understand here? I think the natural idea is something big is about to happen. I mean, he's opened one, two, three, four, five, six seals, And now, before, when the lamb is reaching for seal number seven, it's just like, shh. The Lord is about to pop seal seven. Remember the Super Bowl here this last year? The end of the game? Seattle on the one-yard line? 26 seconds left. Score was 24 to 28. And here you have Marshawn Lynch in the backfield. By the way, he's called the beast. No, that's not out of Revelation. Okay. You got the beast in the backfield. And I remember at our house, it's like game over for Seattle. And New England is going to lose. And all God's people. <laughs> At least from Indiana. Um, <laughs> and it was like, and I remember that moment. It's like, shh, <laughs> watch this. Well, then it went bad. <laughs> okay. But take the shh part of it. And it's like, something is about to unload here. Who can stand? Parenthetic pause, 144,000 in the great multitude. And then Christ moves, the lamb lion moves to the next seal, and everyone's like, shh. For about a half an hour. Now, I will just bring this up. You're going to see me a couple points here. This isn't my main thrust of today, but I do want to say this. If it's all symbolic, why say about a half an hour? Why not say for a long while? Why not say for an uncomfortable period of time? Why not say for a good bit? It just went silent. But friends, sometimes numbers here in the book of Revelation are not just symbolic, but have meaning. I literally think this was, it was just silent for about a half an hour. 
verse 2. And then I saw the seven angels who stand before God. By the way, that's an interesting term, the verb stand. It's perfect tense in the Greek. Perfect tense means that it's an action that's already happened and has continuing ongoing results. So here what's been happening with this seven angels who stand before the throne, they've been standing before the throne. And that's intriguing because we haven't necessarily been told about these seven angels. But anyway, we go on. And then I saw the seven angels who, how many angels? Seven who stand before God, the Father in essence, and seven trumpets were given to them. By the way, they were not the angels' trumpets. They were like, give me my trumpet. They were given trumpets. Someone else owned the trumpets. I think it's clearly uh, assumed here in the text that the Lord is giving, you know, here's, here's my trumpet, and now it's time. I deal the trumpets out. And now is the time they've been standing there and they're given these trumpets. And verse 3. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. By the way, a golden censer. You can go to uh, Exodus, I believe chapter 30. It talks about all this in the temple. And they'd have this golden censer. It's kind of like a, a flat, wide bowl that they would use uh, in the temple. And so another angel, that means an eighth angel, uh, came and stood at the altar. Uh, There's an altar that's there uh, with a golden censer. We're automatically going back to Old Testament and gospel times with the temple, imaging this. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar. Uh, golden altar before the throne, and the smoke of the incense and the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Super cool. I could spend a lot of time on this. I'm just not able to. But it, uh, I just want to remind <laughs> Zechariah, John the Baptizer's dad, uh, uh, was doing this when an angel came and said that he would have a son. This was done in the morning and in the evening in the temple every day in Jerusalem when they had the temple and uh, back in the tabernacle. And so there was the Holy of Holies and then the curtain separating from the Holy of Holies. And then there's like this altar, this table and so forth that has these things on it. And, and, and they would be offering this incense up to the Lord and, and a pleasing aroma to the Lord, representing the worship of God's people in this. And here we see this imagery, this same thing kind of taking place in it all. And yet what's happening is it's, it's the censer that has these coals in it and, and incense is put in and, you know, maybe guys, we're not, maybe not as much into that, but ladies, you know, you can just imagine this beautiful scent just begins to come in. But here it talks about how the prayers of God's people are added into this. I mean, that just takes us back to chapter 6, verse 9 and 10 where it talks about that. And are these particular people from the time of tribulation on the whole, again, I'm not going to put all the pieces together in all of that right now. That's not the point. The point is this. The point is I believe these are the prayers of God's people, whether in that time on the whole, I just want to take it broad. And I'm going to say, listen, this is the kind of thing when the Lord Jesus said to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That kind of scent is going up. And 
in the mystery of how it all works with prayer. I'm going to tell you, prayer, I think, is one of the most mysterious, theologically heavy kinds of things that a person in Christ can do. Yet somehow in all of this, it is the, the, the incense and the prayers of God's people coming up. Oh God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God responds with that. God responds along with that. For some reason in God's mysterious kindness and graciousness, he brings us into what he's doing. I don't think these are, God, please make my day really nice today. God, take away all my troubles kind of prayer thing. Nothing's wrong with that. We see that in the Psalms. But at the same time, and the context of it all, this is this idea that this mixed with the prayers of the saints are coming up to the Lord, and the Lord's like, and he's going to respond from it. We don't tell God what to do. That's not the point. But how marvelous it is, is it, that people that are in the Lord, that know Jesus Christ as their Savior, God brings us into what he does. He loves us. And he wants us to be a part of what he is doing. So sweet. Friends, we are not God's pawns in this war zone We are his participants. Sorry, I just love that. You and I are just not some random people out on a floating planet. God wants us a part of what he's doing. I want on that bus. How sweet. Hmm. Verse five. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and what did he do? Hurled it, he threw it, he flung it. Got the picture? He takes this, and, and then there were peals of thunder, rumbles, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. So here, this whole thing's taking place. I'm not going to go through it all. Is there one altar to it? Oh, it doesn't matter. All this kind of stuff. And it's going, and it's like the prayers of the saints are up to the Lord. And then it's like, he, he gets the okay, and, and he takes this, and it's like, whew, on the earth. By the way, what are you getting a picture by that? It's not like, hey, let's come out and play ball together. No, no, no. This is like judgment's coming. And the will of the Lord is coming. And you think it's been bad so far. Here we go. And it's thrust out. And thunder and lightning and rumblings and an earthquake. (laughs) Yesterday and Friday, a number of us went up to a uh, Chicago for a men's conference up there. Just had a great time together. And both up and back, we like drove through the belly of the beast I mean, especially going up, wasn't it, guys? Rick, I see, man. Yeah, by the way, Rick got passed by a Prius. <laughs> Just, and, <laughs> love you, dude. And uh, <laughs> that was during the storm. Anyway, <laughs> and, and so we're, <laughs> we're there going, and it's just like, 
and rain coming down. Literally, there was a dozen cars just parked off to the side. It was one of the most intense rainstorms driving through in a long time. And you just go, the power and the authority and the clouds that are hanging over. Amazing. I'm going to make a reference here. I don't think I have time. So much of this, what we read in verse 5, reminds us of Revelation 4 around the throne and the thunder and all that's happening around the Father. Some of this so much reminds us in Exodus of Mount Sinai. But also, so much of what we're about to enter in, and and I understand how much text we have to go. We're going to buzz through it. But know this. What we're about to read, I think, has a lot of foundation in the Exodus plagues. So I just want to encourage you to go back and to, I've got the text down here, I'm just not going to have the time to read through, but you go back and you see in chapters 1 and 3 and 5 and 6 and 7, and as the Lord brings the plagues, may I remind us of the plagues, the first one, he turns water to blood, chapter 7, and then the second plague is frogs, and then the third is gnats, and the fourth is flies, the fifth is Egyptian livestock, get sick and die. By the way, it's interesting. Not the Israelite livestock, but the Egyptian livestock. And then uh, plague six, boils happen. Plague seven, hail. Don't forget that. Plague eight, locusts. Don't forget that. And plague ten, the blood of a sacrificed, blemish-free, one-year-old male lamb applied. By the way, uh, plague nine, darkness. And it says that the Egyptians had total darkness, but over the people of Israel's camp, they had light. Much of this, I think, is we will see here in just a moment coming in. And I just say this. If you think that the plagues of the Exodus are uh, fantasized, uh, fantasized religious myths, then you're going to see this is religious myths. I just want to boldly say I believe that those are real and I believe that this is real. And I just want to make that on the record. <laughs> and here we go. Verse 6. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. (laughs) Now as silly as this sounds, it's interesting in the text of the language. You kind of, I think there's kind of this idea to where it's not just like blow and they're like, okay, whatever I got in me, I'll blow. Uh, There's like this preparing to blow, and and in the imagery here, clearly is the case. I mean, it's like, uh, okay, angel number one, whatever his name is, uh, uh, countdown, three, two, now can you just see him? He's like getting himself in place, and he's grabbing that thing, and he's like, I wish I had a horn to blow, no, actually I don't, but you know, and and he just, And he prepares the blow. Verse 7, and the first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth. Do you see where that comes from? Right early in the text with the whole thing, and and it was thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Man, there's such a feel of Joel 2 in this. And, and I'll say this, we get hail. I'm grateful we didn't have hail yesterday. Uh, but we get hail, what that is. We even get fires. Is this lightning, volcanoes, lava? Listen, I'm just going to tell you, I am so not into trying to grab each one of these and assign them to something. 
It's just God's going to do it. Let's just be good with that. I don't know what it is, but it's hail and it's fire. And then it says mixed with blood. Uh, uh, you know, maybe it's like volcano colored ash or contaminated rain. Maybe it's actual blood. Maybe it's the whole idea of loss of life because of the hail and the fire. And life is lost. And one third of the earth and the trees and all the green grass, by the way, uh, I, that's probably the green grass that's, that, that's green at the time. Later on, we're going to see where it refers to green grass again. And I'm not into all the making every little tiny piece fit in it. God's big enough. If he wants to make more green grass, he can do it right away. But a third of the earth of the vegetation is destroyed. By the way, a third, not a fourth, not a half, not three quarters. A third is a limitation statement. No more. A third is in control statement. Just that much. No more. Oh, I want another brownie. Nope. <laughs> Just a third of the pan. Can't have any more. I want to tell you, literally, these numbers are really important. They tell who God is. A third. That's a lot. Can you imagine what takes place? Trumpet number two, verse eight. A second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain. By the way, it's not a great mountain. It's something like a great mountain. It's something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood and a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. It's not a mountain, but it's like a mountain. In other words, some huge mass. This is a meteorite, asteroid on collision course with the earth. Crashes into the sea and crushes a third of the sea. They make movies about that stuff. It is possible. This is no joke, you guys. I don't think this is any symbolic kind of a free-flowing thing. Why would God say a third when he already said a quarter in the prior seals? Here, God is just unleashing. A third of the sea becomes blood. I don't know. Is that a result of the sea life killed or the color of whatever? Or a third of the ships destroyed. Makes sense. Man, that's an awesome movie right there. Tsunami. I mean, you know what I mean. Can you just see it happening? Tsunami taking out a third of the ships on the planet. Verse 10, a third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven. By the way, you remember in uh, chapter 1, Jesus talked about a star in his hand, and the stars are the churches, so maybe this isn't a star star. Maybe No, but look at the context. And a great star fell from heaven. Well, maybe this is Satan. Well, no, hold, hang, hang on. A great aster is, is the word in the Greek. It, it fell from the heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood. Many people died. First time here in these three we see people dying, uh, unless it's implied in the blood. Many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. Is this uh, 
some kind of being? Is this Satan or is this a celestial body that comes? Uh, uh, personally, I think it's probably more that. Could be something that come in blazing like a torch. It comes through the atmosphere, splits up all over the place. Again, I, I don't have to defend God. And I don't have to prove everything from science because God is the God of science. And if he created, he can make it happen however he wants to happen, and I'm going to give him room to be God. Wormwood, it was a shrub back in that day. It had a bitter taste. It could even be used in concentrations almost like a poison. It's referred eight times in the Old Testament. Everything's going bitter, a third of things. trumpet four. Fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck. A third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of their light might be darkened and a third of the day might be kept from shining and likewise a third of the night. A third of light darkened. Is it a less, you know, a third less amount of light? Is a, a third less length of time of light? Can you just imagine the ramifications of that? Plants and the animals and people and life. Verse 13. And then I looked and I heard an eagle crying. Uh, the word used here could also uh, be translated as a vulture. It carries the idea of a bird of prey. I heard a, a bird of prey crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth. blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. By the way, the terminology for those who dwell on the earth or the earth dwellers, depending upon your translation, that commonly in Revelation is referring to those who are not in Christ. Star falls. It's a personal pronoun, trumpet five. We move into this whole section here of these woes. Woe. This isn't like, whoa, cool. This is like, whoa, here we go. Verse nine, chapter 9, verse 1, And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit, and he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit. Star fallen, he... See that? It's a, there's a personal pronoun attached to that. So th this isn't a, like a, a celestial mass, but, but a star fallen. It, it three views on it. One is it's a fallen angel. In other words, a demon. Secondly, this is Satan himself. Or third, it could actually be one of the Lord's angels. Why would one of the, you know, first part of the argument is, is well, you put a demon down there in charge of the, the hatch. I mean, he's going to like mess it up. It's like, no, no, even demons stay within the realm of God, what he's told them they can and can't do. And yet in it, it could be an angel. Well, why would an angel go and do that? Why not? Um, I don't know. That's not the point of this. Um, the demon, the Satan, the angels, given the key. They don't own the keys. given the key to open the hatch of the bottomless pit to the abyss. Uh, that's, this has been the place that's been holding the dirtball demonic host. 
I think this is uh, probably demonic hosts that have been there since the fall of uh, these angels and as demons know. The shaft is open. Uh, let's keep reading. And he opened the shaft, verse 2 of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Can you get that? It's just like you open it and all this you know, factory smoke comes piling out, verse 3, and then from the smoke came locusts on the earth. And they were given power like the power of scorpions on earth. And they were told, that's cool, not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were allowed, do you see God's control in this? They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will see death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. This demon, this Satan, this angel is given the key. They, they, they open the pit and the, the furnace comes out. The smoke comes out. I mean, just picture it. By the way, I personally don't think these are modern-day helicopters and these kinds of things. Um, I literally think these are a demonic locust. After all, why not? What do they do? Well, they do not harm the grass that's green. Well, it could be that there's been some time and the part of the earth that had green grass that got all fried up is now the other part's green or as I said God just made more green grass and uh, they don't harm it uh, but they harm people and it's people without the seal of God that we would automatically go back and go well that's certainly the 144,000 out of the previous chapter but but in this I think out of the uh, the the Egypt plagues and and what we see in the sealing of the spirit on God's people the believers in this day I think they will be protected from this God has a pattern of protecting his people. That doesn't mean that God keeps them from having ramifications of things. Remember, there are people that are going to, in Christ that are going to be martyred during this time. And they torment them. They don't kill them for five months. Is that the length of the sting bite? Or is that the existence of them? It will be so bad that people are going to want to die. Death flees them. Isn't that interesting? We flee death. We're going to watch what happens here regarding death here in a little bit because they don't, uh, but death flees them even though we often flee death. And then we keep reading the appearance. In appearance, what do they look like? We just were told what they do. Now, what do they look like? These locusts were like horses prepared for battle. I just can't see a, you know, you look at a little grasshopper locust and go, man, that looks like a horse. Uh, <clears throat> Like horses prepared for battle on their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. These don't have to be actual crowns on their head. It could be some imagery. It <clears throat> could be that they have yellow fur around them representing it. Their faces were like human faces. How interesting. If these are demonic locusts, this so fits. Because Satan is all about making a mockery of what God created. And hair like women's hair. <clears throat> Ladies, you're like, oh, 
sick. Some people, commentators talk, is it could be referring that they're actually beautiful or that there's a gloriousness about them or even some have said that they wonder if it's a seductiveness in it. Somehow it's actually an attracting thing to people without the seal. They have teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the noise of their wings like the noise of many chariots with horses running into battle. They have tails and sting like scorpions. You can see why some people think these are military helicopters and so forth and I can understand that. I don't. I think it's trying to take modern day technology and cramming it into scripture and making something that we can see and it's like, friends, we live in a spiritual war zone. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, it's called Apollyon. (laughs) Unbelieving Jews and unbelieving uh, Gentiles are gone after. Verse 12, the first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Verse 13, the sixth trumpet. The sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God. By the way, the altar at that time, it had like these four horns on each of the corners. That's what it's referring to. And verse 14, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year. It's like, this is their time. This is their time uh, multiplied here in, in its statement, a specific time. They're released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. How many people is that? 200 million beings, and I heard their number. This is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them, and they wore breastplates, the color of fire, red, and of sapphire, either a dark blue or black, and of sulfur, yellow. By the way, later in Revelation, all those colors are going to be used to describe hell. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By the way, the emphasis here is on the horse-like being By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur, or those missiles and cannons and so forth. Uh, I actually don't think that's what it is. I think this is a demonic beast. Verse 19, for the power of the horses in their mouths and in their tails, and their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. Wow. Wow. In 1970, China said they had the ability to form an army of 200 million. I looked up today, and today China has an active military of 164 million with a whole bunch more to be able to put in any time. Are they them? I don't know, but I don't think it's people. I actually think these are demonic troops. I may be wrong on that. I'm not trying to get exaggerated with it. But just when I see all that's what's happening here, friends, can you imagine? I think all this is reminding us we do not live 
in the place that we too often think we live. We are in a war zone between Satan and God. And there is something far bigger going on, something far bigger than everything that we commonly see and grab a hold of. And here these beings or these armies, they kill by incineration with fire, by asphyxiation with smoke and burning stones. A third of mankind is killed. And the end. The rest of mankind who were, verse 20, killed by these plagues, who were not killed, did not repent. Friends, I actually think these last two verses are the entire thrust of the two chapters. All of this is leading to this. The rest of mankind who were not killed by the plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Friends, it's getting worse. And it's going to get worse. What's going on here? What's going on here with the seals and the trumpets? Let me try and say it this way. All of the things that mankind worships, all of the things that mankind glorifies outside of the Lord, like the earth, like the sky, like the stars and the sun and the moon, like the seas, like the animals, like the mountains and the trees, like food, like stuff, like others, like sex, like things we do and things we make and things we own, the, 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 the lust for control. Yeah, you have control of your life. That is such a joke. Let's be real. And yet you and I, that is an idol for us. I want to control my life. And you do too. But here's the problem. It's not the pursuit and the trust in the Lord. It's not pursuing the Lord. All the things that man worship glorifies outside of the Lord are the very things that the Lord brings to crash upon unrepentant man. It's kind of like, you want all that? Here, I'll step back and I'll throw it at you. And you can have it full out without any of my restraining grace at it. And what you seek, what you want, what you yearn for, what you idolize, what you lust for, what you worship, what you idolize. Have it including spiritual powers outside of the Lord. Have it. Do you see, everything is turning in on mankind. And the Lord is using all of it in his control by his movements to show us that this is not all there is. There is a God who is over all things. There is a second person of the Trinity The lion, the lamb, who has come to pay the price, God's long-suffering over history and putting up with us. 
And yet in this time, as we saw with the seals, people are going to know that this is the judgment of God and yet they're going to be like, cram it. And I bring it back to you and I today. And how are you and I manifesting that exact attitude today? Friends, what do you worship? Who do you worship? I mean for real. Because what you worship, you will get. And what you worship will control you and overtake you. It will. And you know it, and I know it. And yet we wrestle with it every day. Satan is happy to use you and destroy you because you are created in the image of God. And so is the earth created by the Lord and the stars created by the Lord. And Satan wants nothing else than to, than to destroy anything of God. We are in a war. And he's after you. Satan will use it to destroy you. And the Lord will allow you to have it. For the purpose that we would come to see that there is nothing to be worshipped outside of the mighty Lord of all. The next pay raise is not going to bring you ultimate joy. The hot chick, the hot stud, is not going to bring you the ultimate joy. A bigger house And the list goes on. But I praise the Lord for this. He is patient. And he does not want anyone to go down. Do you know him? And I would also ask even stronger. Are you walking with him? Because listen, friends, if there are some things you need to repent of, this would be a great time. Because the end of the chapter talks about people who don't want to repent. But the Lord loves it when people come to him and repent. Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I'm so broken. And he's like, I know. I love you. 
He loves you. And so we're going to finish with this. It was silent in heaven for 30 minutes. No, we won't go that long. But we're going to take a couple minutes of just silence. And then Nick will close us. Lord, I just pray as we take some time of silence that the Spirit of God would do a work in this room in a way that only you can do.